0: To the
1: show. What was that? (laughs) I just wanted to copy you. (laughs) You just surprised me. You stole my welcome to the show, Thunder. That was kind of fun. I
0: did. You always keep me on my toes. I know. You never know what to expect. I'm always surprised. Surprise.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Welcome to the Hope Radio Podcast. Real people, real stories, real hope. My name is Sean Davis. I happen to be your humble host and joining you is. Joining you. look, See, you got me all discombobulated.
0: My name is Sean Davis. No, it isn't. And I'm here with my lovely hostess with the mostest. His name is...
1: Sean. I'm a
0: hostess with the mostest now? Yep. <laughs> it's it's like the trade day.
1: Is today a day of trade? I be
0: you, you be me.
1: Well, that is going to make for an interesting day for both of us, I okay. think. Yeah, that's like, going to that's going to be a lot of fun.
0: I like fun.
1: A lot of of interesting moments, I'm sure.
0: Well, I mean, we got to keep on our toes. <laughs>
1: <laughs> oh my gosh, you always make me laugh. You keep me on my toes for sure. Mm-hmm.
0: That's I was I for. was surprised
1: by that, but I I love it. Thank you. Thank you for giving me a jolt of energy right now.
0: Do you feel like a ballerina? Well, no on your toes. (laughs) I'm so funny.
1: Uh, Was that your joke for today?
0: No because it's not about food.
1: Oh we get double humor today? Yes. You're gonna say something else funny. I am. You might even say a few more things after that funny. I think everything I say is pretty funny. I know you think everything you say is pretty funny.
0: Right? I mean I don't know how else to explain why everyone laughs when they're around me.
1: Do I? So Hopefully
0: it's I'm telling funny jokes.
1: Do I always laugh when I'm around you?
0: Uh, yes, unless you're like in your head and working.
1: I'm I'm never in my head working.
0: <laughs> well, whatever. <laughs>
1: <laughs> you, you know, you know, that might be a little fib, right? You're in your head working. I know. That's what I'm saying. I said, I'm never in my head. And then you like, well, oh.
0: <laughs> I thought you were saying I was fibbing. And I'm like, no, no, I am as transparent as it is. Gets.
1: Well, I normally ask you how you're doing today, but I can clearly see that you're feeling a little spunk. You're feeling yeah. a little vibrancy. You're, you must be having a good day.
0: I'm having some Dutch brothers. Oh, you got your
1: little caffeine fix, yeah. right? Yeah. How are you doing? I am living my best life.
0: Well, that is a good thing to do.
1: I am live you know what I am? What I I just realized. What? I am a balanced life enthusiast.
0: Well, I like balance.
1: You know, you gotta have you gotta have balance.
0: Yes. Did you know? Well, you know that I'm a Libra. Yes. And my sign is scales because of balance.
1: Here's what I don't understand about signs. Yeah. Okay, I'm an Aquarius. Okay. You're a fish? No, they say that's an air sign. Well, you are an air sign. Why is an Aquarius an air sign? Aqua, water, Aquarius.
0: You got to come up for air once in a while.
1: Why is that an air sign? Why wouldn't that be a water sign? No. I don't understand this. No. It doesn't make sense to me.
0: I'm an air sign too.
1: Yeah. Libra. That sounds like something air oriented. It is. It doesn't sound it. I'm
0: always up in the air.
1: (laughs) Yes, you are. We have gone off the rails. That was my Ma- second joke. Yeah, I know. Oh. Well, now we're going to have three. Stay tuned
0: because I have one more. Because we have joke
1: time. Yes. It's time for joke time. It's time to tell funnies. If somebody hasn't been laughing yet, then this is our last attempt. <laughs> this is our last attempt at humor.
0: Okay. Well, I have one. Then you have one.
1: Okay. Okay. So you're, you're going to go first. Yes. Are right. you ready? I think I am.
0: What do you get when you put three ducks in a box?
1: A box of three ducks?
0: A box of quackers. (laughs) What's the best cracker?
1: What's the best cracker? Yeah, what's your favorite cracker? Like pure cracker. Yes. Uh, Ritz. You like Ritz? I think Ritz are the best. Those are boring. I think, what? Yeah,
0: those are boring. Why
1: do you say my favorite cracker's boring? Well, I don't know. What's your favorite cracker?
0: I like Wheat Thins. I like Cheez-Its. I like, um... I actually like saltines which are kind of boring.
1: Well, saltines are the definition of the, you know, boring cracker. But they're But Wheat Thins are like a close they, second. Like what's so interesting about Wheat Thins? The fact they have wheat?
0: I love Wheat Thins. I could really? just eat that for the rest of my life and nothing else.
1: I think the reason I like Ritz is that they have this uh like butter flavor to butter. them. Butter. Why'd you say it like that? Butter. <laughs> I like butter. You like food. All right. So, you ready for my joke? I am super I got a little ready. food in my joke. What? Yes. Well, we're switching roles, apparently. Oh, that's
0: right. I should have told a stupid joke then.
1: Jennifer.
0: <laughs> that was my fourth buddy.
1: Oh, my gosh. You I'm, are on, I'm on, on a roll. roll today. All right. You ready? I'm ready. What do you call a mac and cheese that gets all up in your face?
0: Oh, mac and cheese.
1: It gets all up in your face.
0: Cheese face.
1: No. Too close for comfort food.
0: (laughs) Is macaroni and cheese comfort food?
1: How is it not? I don't like it. Noodles and cheese? Like, what's not more comfortable? I mean, what's more comfortable than noodles and cheese?
0: Um, Meatloaf.
1: That's not a comfort (laughs) food.
0: Meatloaf. Maybe lasagna. What is the
1: definition of a comfort food?
0: I don't know. All food makes me comfortable. (laughs) That was my fifth funny.
1: Jeez Louise. I'm going to start improv. I'm. Just, I'm I, we might as well. It's become an improv show. It's become the Jen show.
0: Okay, I'm going to stop now.
1: No, it's awesome. <laughs> I love it. Like, what you got now? Tell me another one.
0: Oh, I think we have a guest coming on.
1: <laughs> <laughs> oh, now you're pivoting yeah. when I put you on the spot.
0: Woo, yeah.
1: Yes, we do. We have an awesome guest coming on the show. And, uh, you know, once again... The show theme is going to be hope, and this person, Misty Lane, she has got a story of hope to share. And I got to tell you, I'm super, super excited.
0: excited. Yes, yes. Shall we call her? I think we should call her right now. Let's get the show a
1: rolling because we've had enough, like you know, humor, (laughs) levity so far. So I'm going to get her on the phone right now. Call her up, and we're going to interview. Okay. All right. I'm happy to say I got Misty Lane on the air with me right now. Welcome to the show, Misty. How are you today?
2: Oh, I'm awesome. Thank you so much
1: for having me. Oh, it's sincerely our pleasure. We're happy to have you. We're happy to talk about hope. We mm-hmm. think that hope is never out of style, and we think too many people right now need some hope, so we're happy to have you on as a hope dealer. And for the benefit of our audience, why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself? Where do you live? Where are you calling us from? I detect a little bit of an accent. I I, I just can't quite make it out, though, but I think it's a little Southern <laughs> accent, so why don't you tell us where you live? Oh, and- yeah.
2: I tried moving out of the country and moved all the way to Albuquerque from Texas, but you can't take the country out of the girl. You just can't do it.
1: <laughs> um, <laughs> I love it.
2: I, I'm, I'm back to Texas. I'm back to Texas. And uh, yeah, that's the Texas accent you hear. Born and raised down here. I lived in Louisiana for a while, lived in Albuquerque 20 years, and i never lost the accent.
1: Oh, um, I, I love you know,
2: it. I'm pretty simple. I'm a kind of tell-it-like-it-is kind of gal, and I enjoy things in life like most people do. Uh, but I just, uh, at the end of the day, it's it's about learning to love myself. Yeah. And so that's that's who Misty Lane is. I'm just on a journey to find and discover myself and be happy with who I am, where I am.
1: I think a lot of people could learn a lot of lessons from that. I think that's a great attitude. I think that's a great outlook on life, and I think that's part of your Southern charm. Just one question I have. What area of Texas are you from?
2: <laughs> I am from a little bitty town called Viter, Texas. I currently live in Port Arthur, which is down near the Beaumont area, right on the Louisiana border.
1: If I had had to guess about your accent originally, I would have, I would have said something like Louisiana. I, I felt like you got you got that Louisiana draw to it but I love it it's endearing
2: yes well I just moved back I lived in Louisiana 12 years and I just recently last year moved across the border to Texas which is crazy it's like a 40 mile difference but let (laughs) me tell you it is so like seriously I am in the medical profession and if I say the, the name Hebert in Louisiana that's that's the death I mean it's a bear. You know, it's it's oh, spelled wow. the same, but it's pronounced different, and they take it so seriously. There's so many <laughs> names that are like that, and it, it's crazy. the The culture is so different.
1: You know yeah. the one thing. The one thing I think about when I think about Louisiana is is I think about gators. I think about Gator Country. I think about oh, the yeah. swamp. You know, there's that show on Discovery where they go after gators and, and stuff like that. So every, I'm just mm-hmm. mesmerized by the lifestyle. I'm like, the, you know, the, those people are awesome. Oh. I, 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 wish, I wish I was down there in some gator country. I, I don't think I've... Jen, when was the last time we saw an alligator? Was it right. Florida?
0: Probably Florida, yeah.
1: We saw a little gator in Florida. Florida. We, uh, Florida we held it.
0: Alligator's not the same. No, because we, we actually were <laughs> carrying heard. it. We got to hold it. So I'm yeah. sure it's different. Uh, yeah. We got to hold it. Yeah. Oh, no,
2: it's different. My boyfriend, he has he, a hobby. He likes to hunt alligators. It's... uh I, I, he's
0: brave. Let me just say yeah, that. Yeah. Sounds
1: like it. We're going
0: to come to Texas and hunt the hogs.
1: Yeah. The feral hogs out there yeah. in Texas are oh, a problem.
0: The oh, <laughs> they're mean, too.
2: They're, I they're, know. They're wild. They're, the boar out here are pretty mean. Uh, yeah. They'll tear stuff up in a quick hurry. We're going to get them. Yeah. yeah we. Are, that, that's always been something I thought about
1: in the back of my mind. I'm like, you know, I've seen some of these helicopters flying over some of these feral hogs and stuff. And I'm like, wait, you get to fly in a helicopter. You get to take care of a nuisance problem you get to shoot a gun like is there anything and better you get, you get bacon and you get ba- jennifer it's always back with food <laughs> with you
0: that's right it is always bacon. back with food for jen awesome.
1: bacon is awesome it is awesome especially thick cut now i have a i have a
2: christmas ornament made out of bacon it's a glass bacon piece that hangs on my uh, christmas tree.
1: that is the best thing i've ever heard in my life a christmas ornament oh, that's out yeah. with bacon
0: have you ever had chocolate yeah, covered bacon cool
1: chocolate covered bacon no, Jennifer yes. really? I would love it.
0: It's a thing. <laughs> chocolate
1: covered it. bacon. Yes. I never thought you could make bacon mm. better but now you just added chocolate okay, to it. Okay,
0: I'm going I'm going to make you some chocolate covered bacon.
1: Oh no, I can already <laughs> feel the pounds. You're going to love on. it. I love. I I bet you I will. That's the problem. It's
0: the salty and the sweet.
1: Oh my gosh, that, that sounds like a recipe for you know
0: For yumminess. Weight gain. No. Yumminess. <laughs> Happiness. Jen, Jen is a total foodie. I love it.
2: I love it because it's all about perspective. She sees it as this great, you know, enjoyment lap and you're like, oh no, the pound. That's know? right. It's all yeah. about perspective, right? <laughs> yeah.
1: That 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 seems indulgent. I would I would I would feel yeah. a gluttonous if yeah. I if I oh. had that. Well, yeah. maybe one. Just not like five.
0: We're going to do it this weekend.
1: Jennifer. Yes. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. That's my (laughs) wife. She's always dragging me into exotic foods.
0: (laughs) Exotic. Yeah. Bacon and chocolate. I don't think it's very exotic.
1: (laughs) Seems exotic to me.
0: I don't find that exotic, but it's definitely interesting. Yes. There you go. Yes.
1: (laughs) Well, thank you so much for coming on our little uh, show of hope here. And uh, I know a little about you and your story, only what you've shared with me, but you haven't shared all of it. So the reality of it is, is that I can't wait to hear about your story of hope. So I'll let you start it off wherever you want to begin and just tell us a little bit about your background and some of the hope message that you want to share.
2: My biggest thing is all about showing people that we can all overcome our worst to live our best. And that was quite a journey for me to discover myself. Uh, I grew up such, (laughs) such a, a, an innocent child and I I really hate the world today isn't like it was back in the 1970s. I'm kind of giving my age away here, but I grew up in, in a time where you could run around outside until dark and not have to worry about trafficking or all these things you could do on adventures and play. We didn't have video games to keep us homebound and all these things. And, Uh, I was just so innocent, and I I just knew from an early age I wanted to be a surgeon. I had a passion for it. I started working towards it since I was about 14. On my way, doing everything right. I got married in college, discovered after 10 years of a marriage that my husband had another woman pregnant, and I had just gotten accepted into medical school. And it completely just tarnished everything for me as far as my outlook on the world. You know, I, I didn't see ugly in the world before. Now I saw the ugliness in the world and it was happening to me. And more than that, I had grown up in beauty pageants and had all this confidence. And, you know, I just, I had so much like competition in me. I always wanted to be the best at everything. And now that he had cheated, I internalized it and thought it had to be my fault. This was my fault. I wasn't good enough, pretty enough, smart enough, fun enough, whatever I caused him to cheat. And that right there was the beginning of the end of the Misty everybody. Had, had loved growing up because I lost that innocence. I lost my confidence and I didn't respect my moment of choice. The first guy that came along that was willing to validate what I was starving for, which was that I was good enough. I fell for him and he wasn't the best guy. Um, he introduced me to my first line of cocaine. I was 32 years old, a mother of two in medical school, you know, smart enough to know better, vulnerable enough at that time of my life to just have that curiosity. And I didn't respect that moment of choice. I didn't stop and say, what am I doing? Instead, I was like, all that anger from the past was coming out. And I thought I did everything right. You know, I was a good girl and it got me nowhere. So I wanted to be that. I wanted to try that. So I did it. Immediately was was addicted to it. That cocaine addiction uh, within a year turned into a crack cocaine addiction. Um, Devastated. Anyone that knew me, it it was like a complete turnaround for for the person they knew from the past, you know. And um, it took me down. It took me down so hard and so fast for 10 years. I found myself doing all the things I never thought I would ever do. Uh, all the things I said I could never do, I found myself doing them for that drug. And
1: first of all, thank you okay. for sharing. Thank you for your your vulnerability. I, I do want to go back to something that you said mm-hmm. because I think it it deserves to kind of be expanded upon. And and that is, I think that that's probably a common feeling. I mean, like I I I wouldn't understand, I don't have any firsthand experience, but you know, if you've been married and you you got a husband and you got a a spouse and, and then all of a sudden you find out that something's happened and you know, they've been unfaithful. I would imagine that the first, you know, directed energy is like, what did I not do? Why, why did that person seek somebody else? What, what was wrong with the marriage? And I, and I imagine, so one question that I had was, are you an only child? Did you have family? How close was your family? I mean, were you able to talk through some of this stuff or or were you alone in your dealing with this news that he'd been unfaithful and then not only had he been unfaithful, that was about to have a child?
2: Well, I wasn't alone. Um, You know, whether we enlist the help that we have around us or not is up to us. And, you know, there's a bit of shame that comes with a failed marriage, you know, whether it's your fault or not. There's a bit of that, um, you know, you're too proud to tell other people why your marriage is dissolved, you know, because you you feel it's your fault. You feel like you did something wrong. So I went through a period of that, but, you know, there was um, adultery in my parents' relationship and that's why they had divorced and, you know, but at the same time, in the back of your mind, you know, you don't, if you're, if you're really close to your mom or your dad, you don't want to tell them all the bad things about your husband because then they count on them. You know, it, yeah. it's kind of hard. Yeah. So you try to keep that balance. You, you don't. You don't want to taint their opinion of them, right? Like,
1: because I could see Definitely. you not wanting to taint the opinion. Because what if it works out? What if we get back together again? Now they're going to always right. think of him as X or Y because of what he did. And yeah, you know, right. I could, I could see the challenge um, in that. And so, so you process the divorce, and you know, you're reeling from it because you you just don't understand. And then you internalize it, like there was something wrong with you. And so you mentioned that the first person that kind of, you know, validated what you were looking for at that time was this, this man you met. Was he the one that introduced you to cocaine?
2: He was, I had been dating him about four months. Um, we were on our way to a Dallas Cowboys football game. He pulled over on the side of the road and, and did a lot of cocaine. I'm like, what are you doing? Cause I didn't even know he, he did it. I mean, we used to go out country and western dancing. I knew he drank, but it was nothing like that. And He's like, try it. I'm like, no way. He's like, just try it. And like I said, I didn't stop long enough and respect that choice. And I just went with it and I did it. And it just opened my whole world up to something I've never experienced. And, um,
1: now, had you ever done, the
2: beginning of the end.
1: Had you had done marijuana? Had you done any type of drug before that at all?
2: Yes. I, I was hit by a drunk driver when I was 15, went through the windshield of a car and almost died. So I was never that party girl in school. I was a good kid. Um, I drank a few times, probably, you know, on one hand, I could count how many times I was drunk, even in college, I mean, I just wasn't that girl. I smoked pot three times, maybe four, never liked it. It wasn't my thing. I just wasn't into it. So, um, like I said, I, I lived a life, I, I was happy. I didn't feel I needed anything. You know, I liked being in control of me. I didn't like when I drank, not feeling control. But at this time, when I tried the cocaine, I was vulnerable, I was hurt, I was mad, I was pissed off at the world, and I, I didn't want to be responsible. I didn't want to be in control. It's kind of like me, you know, flogging myself on my own back here. It's kind of a punishment, if you will.
1: Yeah, totally and i and i think that there is that that side that sometimes will come out like when you've experienced some sort of significant trial or tribulation you also want to numb it like you don't you don't want to mm-hmm. feel because it hurts and it a challenge mm-hmm. and it's not fun and it and when is it going to end and so i could see you know cocaine as being something that would numb your feelings at the time and just make it like you know i don't care about anything right now were you yeah. surprised at how quickly it it got a hold of you
2: um, yes, because I was uneducated. I was uh, uneducated about cocaine, about the power of drugs, the powerlessness that it, it brings to you. I was uneducated, so and unaware. So um, it, it just took me down really hard and fast. As a matter of fact, I have a book, a best-selling book, actually. It's called "What Goes Up," and that's where the title came from. It was originally "What Goes Up Must Come Down," because, like you said earlier, you know, when I would get high, I, I didn't have to worry about adultery or perfectionism or responsibilities or raising two kids by myself. I didn't, you know, I was just high, oblivious to it, but what goes up must come down. So when I would come down off of the high, I was still had all those issues in my life. But now I was also, you know, a cocaine addict.
1: Yeah. That's it. I, you know, I could, I could see that happening. And so, so how did you transition from, Cocaine to, you said crack cocaine, right?
2: Yeah, cocaine is, um, powdered cocaine lasts longer, um, but it doesn't give you the intense high. Um, I've never been a smoker or anything like that. The same guy that introduced me to the line introduced me to the crack, which is a rock form, and you smoke it. Well, it hits your system so much faster and it's so much more intense, but it doesn't last as long. So it's a whole technique to try to get it into your lungs. I didn't know how to smoke, I couldn't inhale, it was just it was just a mess. And being a perfectionism, I'm like, I've gotta figure this out. How do I smoke this <laughs> stuff? By the time I, I figured I mean it sounds hilarious. But I mean, know. It I really f- just
1: crazy i'm gonna work out um, i'm gonna figure out how to be a perfect I, crack smoker right like that you know like exactly, when you when you hear it I when you suspended. say it now it's just like oh my gosh you know like imagine what you can justify in the moment you know like or it's in crazy
2: it's yeah. crazy yeah. and so by the time i perfected it i was a full-blown crack addict.
1: and so you know at some point your family's got to know I mean, you got a couple of kids, you you know, were your parents still alive at this point, like in your early 30s?
2: Oh, well, yeah. It was a tough, challenging time. That's the same year, you know, my husband moved off with this other girl and I'm alone with my two kids in school trying to get, you know, now I'm having to work too. There's just so much going on, but... It took about a year, I guess, about 10 months for it to really come into where they could really see it all evolving. They knew something was wrong. They had no idea, never even imagined it would be drugs. Um, but they knew something was wrong. Either I was depressed. Um, I wasn't spending time with my kids. I was going to bed really early, which really I was just locking the door and going in there and smoking crack, you know, but it, it was just a whole change. They did see it. Um, I actually went to them at the end of the year and, and confessed all and asked for help and put myself in rehab. That's when, um, and it, it's just a, so, such an intricate story. There's so much more to, we haven't even gotten to yet. There's just so yeah, much, Well,
1: you know, I'm, uh, I, yeah, I am, it, I am curious about it. how it unfolded. I mean, I, I think the biggest question that I have is, is, you know, some of the darkest days that you had while, um, you know, addicted and then how long it lasts. And then obviously I want to get to what brought you out of it. So why don't you go ahead and continue, you know, where you want to, uh, to continue and, uh, we'll let you tell your story.
2: Okay. Well, some of the darkest days would definitely be this next chapter, which is where, uh, my son's father steps into the picture. My son is 20 um, today and his dad was my drug dealer. I thought I fell in love with my drug dealer, um, you know, and he he wanted better for me. He did. He was addicted himself, and he saw the good in me, and he tried to talk me out of it. He would say the Serenity Prayer with me, you know, and that won me over right away. I'm like, he really cares about me, you know. He really knew I had a great job with money and would support his habit. So, uh, looking back, but anyway. Um, we moved off together. We decided that we wanted a better life and both wanted off the drug. We left Albuquerque, um, tried to leave. The drug brought us back twice um, because we, we couldn't go without it just to make the trip to Texas. It was, we couldn't do it. So we finally did it. We finally made it, threw all the crack pipes away. We were able to get all the way to Texas, start a new life. Um, two months into that is when he broke my nose for the first time. Had no idea. He was a violent person, never saw that side of him, but boy, let me tell you, that domestic abuse, that was a whole other thing with me, and I tell people today, of everything I've been through, and when you hear at the end all the stuff I've gone through, it's like that's some of the hardest to get over. The physical scars heal, but those emotional scars run deep, and they're self-sabotaging, and they play on every insecurity we have, and so I went through... Um, a lot of time with him back and forth with domestic abuse, um, which either further stripped my confidence, my self-esteem. So here I go from this woman that, you know, walked across the stage with confidence and a sash and a crown to hiding behind a car and being scared to use my voice because I was in fear of being hit, you know, being told how to dress, what to eat, what music to listen to, and then being ashamed that I was allowing it to happen. But he was using the crack cocaine. He would break my nose, hit me, cause pain, and then come back hours later after I kicked him out with, with the dope. And that dope was the, the pain reliever. So it was like this vicious, vicious cycle. Um, and he and I went back and forth a long time, in and out of jail, so this, that, the other. Um, it all kind of came to a head. And, and one night, he was in jail. I had bonded out some other stuff we'd done and I was alone out there and I was in the wrong place at the wrong time doing the wrong thing and I got attacked and robbed and completely in fear of my life and I turned my car around to speed out of the neighborhood. The only way I'd come in is go right back out the street, the only way I knew and hit the gas and was basically running out of there with my, you know, fear of my life and they threw a brick at my car and I swerved and started sliding sideways down the road. And I hit a parked vehicle that was parked in front of a house. And that vehicle struck a lady that was standing in the yard. And it knocked her into her house and it killed her. And I had no idea. I had no idea this had happened. I, I woke up in an emergency room with my mom over me crying. And she kept saying, honey, are you okay? And I, I knew I had been up for four days smoking crack. And I was in and out of consciousness. I knew I had been in a wreck. I had no idea somebody was dead. And I knew I was okay. My body felt okay. So I went to reach up to hug my mom's neck to console her. And I felt that angry cold still around my wrist that had me cuffed to that gurney. And I knew then something bad had happened. And it was my own mother that had to tell me, honey, you killed somebody. And what I tell you, it was as if that gurney was quicksand. And I was sinking and every bit of my breath from my lungs was being sucked out of me. At that point, I didn't even know how to live. I didn't even know what was going to happen to me. I felt like my world was over, and I ended up facing a forty-year prison sentence over vehicular homicide. Man, son, I'm telling you, that was tough. That was that was a dark time, dark time.
1: <laughs> I can I can uh, not imagine. I mean, I oh. don't I don't really have the words. And uh, what an what incredible series of events. So, so let me go back because I, I got a little confused in your, in your telling of the story. Um, so the guy that had introduced you to drugs, the guy that had physically abused you, the guy that had given you crack cocaine, the guy that was basically milking off you, he was in jail. You, you guys had both been in jail. You had bonded out. So you got out, and then yeah. you you were somewhere where your life was in jeopardy. Like, So w- were you with yeah. other people? Were you with somebody else? They, somehow you – so I missed the part. Was, Go I ahead.
2: I was out there on my own, and it was uh, – I picked up two prostitutes because if you need to score drugs and people don't know you, you always turn to a prostitute because they know everybody. And so I picked them up to help me score drugs in this town because I was just out there driving for days and days, going wherever. And um, so they scored some dope for me and um, decided I was an easy target and they were going to steal my car. And during the drug transaction is when they punched me in the face and everything kind of went down during that.
1: And so during that time, you little sped little off car. in the car and then they th- the, the two prostitutes, they threw a brick at, your, at you or at your window? Yes. Yeah. And then Yes, that's- and then
2: their pimp, their pimp was running up behind, and I saw him coming, and I knew I had to get out of there, so I just hit the gas. And that's when, as I passed her, um, the one girl threw a brick, and it just had a reflex. I jerked the wheel, and it made me start driving sideways down the down the road.
1: Oh my gosh. And so you, you, you remembered all of this, even though you'd been in the accident. Cause I'm, I'm assuming mm-hmm. you'd been knocked out. You'd, you know, whatever had happened, all of a sudden you come to and you're in a hospital and you're like, oh my gosh, what happened? I mean, I mean that had to have been a scary moment in and of itself. Then to see your mom and then to realize that you had handcuffs on, like, I, I just cannot imagine a more in that moment, hopeless situation than what you felt. So how did, how did you, how did you deal with that? How did you process that?
2: Well, it was tough. Um, I've never been suicidal, but to find the will to take a breath every day when you know you were out there doing something wrong and you took someone's life, it was, it was hard. It was hard to find the courage to breathe. And I got no counseling, they gave me no um, therapy, no antidepressants, nothing. As a matter of fact, the two girls that apprehended me, they they that attacked me, they were in the jail with me. So here I'm having to face them every day. It was just a really small little Paris town in Louisiana, and it wasn't a big jail, so they didn't have a lot of provisions. But it, it was rough for seven months I sat there. And, you know, the beautiful part, like you said in the very beginning of your show, you know, you can see blessings along the way. You can find the, the silver lining and everything, but I think you have to be open to it. I think you have to train your brain of negativity to turn it turn around and see the positive Because I believe I agree, there are blessings everywhere if you if you look for them. Number one, the late one of the girls that, that actually threw that knocked me in the face, that punched me in the face. She had been prostituting since she was twelve because her mom made her to support her own crack habit. So this was her way of life. This is her all she knew. I, you know, she and I are in here together. Um, At first, there's all this animosity, but she had so much remorse over what she had done. She approached me. She's like, "I'm so sorry. This is my fault." We started talking. I got her into the Bible. I actually helped tutor her and help her get her GED. Which people were like, how are you two friends? What's going on here? You know, and it was like, you have to understand forgiveness. I knew yeah. I needed to be forgiven. And I know in order for that to happen, I needed to forgive. And so, and not just other people, but myself too. So it was this whole huge, dark seven month journey that I went on. And I didn't have, like I said, I didn't have anybody to help me. I didn't have a therapist. I didn't have anything. So I started writing. My daughter told me, my my daughter at the time was 18. I had just missed her high school graduation because I'm incarcerated. She wrote me a letter. She said, Mom, forgive yourself. It was an accident. Write down all the things that are haunting you at night and you just give them to God. And so I took my daughter's advice and I did that. And it opened up such an enormous, uh, uh, the writing world to me. It was like, it lowered a wall of shame just enough for me to see inside all the pain that I was stuffing little Debbie cakes down with, that I was using sex to, to avoid um, feeling the pain of, abortions I had during my addiction that I never grieved, I never dealt with. I just took another hit and kept going like it was nothing. You know, it was allowing me to see that I had all this pain inside of me and that I had to deal with it. It doesn't just go away under crack or food or sex or whatever. And so I started writing my story. And it was like the most profound emotional vomit you could imagine <laughs> that came out on paper. I mean, it was hard. It was full of anger. It was full of blame. It was dark. and um, But it was necessary at the time. It's what I needed. I needed to get it out so that I could identify what I needed to work on. And I tell people, writing saved my life. And I believe it today that it did.
1: Yeah, I was just going to say, I think writing could be a a cathartic release. Mm -hmm. It definitely is. It's like the... You know, like Jen, during the podcast, she doodles all the time. She writes like she, she, she has to write to I'm get thinking. things. Yeah. You're pretty, she's processed. She's in order for her to think she's got to have a pen to a piece of paper and it's just got to be doodling. And yeah. Right. That's
0: how I remember.
1: Now you're real quiet. You, the, you the heaviness of this is probably, you know, yeah. <laughs> this, this,
0: I'm barely breathing.
1: Yeah. This is why I say Jen is a, she's a professional listener with a voice. She can interject in, but you know, going yeah. back to, to, to what you had said. So let, let me make sure I'm clear too. Was the, was the girl that you befriended that you helped get her GED that was she was in jail she was the prostitute that you picked up was she in jail because of what happened
2: no they never got charged with what happened they were in jail from old warrants they okay picked up on. okay neither neither one of them ever got and and by the way I want to say since then she's she's overdosed on heroin and she, she she passed away years later but um yeah, the other girl—I have no idea where she is. She's never showed a sign of remorse or anything. Wow! But,
1: wow! Um, yeah, so
2: yeah, I had to deal with them. <laughs> it was hard.
1: I, you know, I think going back to to what you had said, you know, drugs are a way for you to not feel. And to your point you know, you had to process, you had so much happen in your life and you, you, you know, we're built with human emotions. You know, we, we we need to grieve. We have anger, we have resentment, we have fear, we have love, all those things. And so like when you're numbing all of that, it doesn't have a a chance to, to come out. And I I had a similar experience, you know, I was, as a kid, I, you know, I was always told, you know, you're never going to mount anything by a stepfather. You're not, you're not good enough. You're not going to be successful. You're not going to mount anything. He was never physically abusive, but he was mentally abusive, And I remember um, being in a counseling session and I was probably in my mid-40s, early to Mm mid-40s. And I remember my counselor just asking me a question and it wasn't even really that deep of a question. But all of a sudden that little eight-year-old in me you know, just started balling. It was like that, whatever question, whatever needed to come out, whatever I had stuffed down for so long for, and, and didn't want to deal with, all of a sudden came bubbling up. And I can only imagine with what you had seen and done and experienced in your life, not to mention the accident and, and taking the life of, of somebody, how much emotion you had just stuffed inside of you that needed to come out. And I think writing mm-hmm. was probably that way for you to, to, to deal with it. It, to process it to to let it out easily you know like in other words to let it out in a in a manageable process because when you're putting the pen to the paper you know it's not like you can you can absorb all of it at one time it's like i got i got to let this out over time was was that how yeah. you dealt with it
2: yeah it just i just allowed it like i didn't sit down and say okay i'm going to write a book and make an outline and do this and this and this no this was just a release like you said this was just an initial way for me to cope i had to cope And so this was, this was life-saving for me. It wasn't until years later. As as a matter of fact, I was facing a 40-year sentence. The district attorney, which is my prosecutor, heard about this book I was writing. And he came to visit me, which is unheard of. I mean, there's so many blessings in my story along the way. He came to visit me and he sat with me and he read some of the pages and we talked. And he's like, you don't belong here, Misty." And I said, yes, I do. I killed her. He said, "But, but your life, this isn't who you are, you know, what's happened. We're going to get you some help. First person in the judicial system that mentioned the word help. It was all just, you killed, you killed, you killed. Not to mention but I have a problem on top of that. I need help, you know. So my prosecutor went to the judge. They reduced my charge from vehicular homicide to negligent homicide, which went from a violent crime to a nonviolent crime, accidental death, which also saved my nuclear medicine license that I had already graduated from college with before med school so blessings so many so many ways I mean I believe in my heart God brought me through this for a reason he saved me for a reason and it's to do what I do today which is to speak out on it so um so many things in it but I can tell you it took nine years after I did so I got a five-year sentence I actually did two and a half years in prison I came Mm -hmm. home Sat on that book, never did a thing with it because I got back into the medical field um, and I was too ashamed. I didn't want anybody to know about that person. I, I tucked her away, put locked the key on that person and started pretending to be somebody else and starting a whole new life. Well, that person inside was still there and it was very toxic and it was eating away at me. But still, never did anything with it. The wreck happened on September 18, 2007. My same oldest daughter, Lauren, came to me and said, Mom, I'm pregnant with your first grandbaby, and she, uh, the baby's due September 18th. And I'm thinking, oh, my gosh, God's replacing a life with a life I feel like I stole. You know, instead of crying every day on September 18th, I'm going to have a, a, something to be joyful for now on that So wait,
1: let me, let me make so sure I'm, husband, I'm with you. So September 18th was mm-hmm. the date of the accident. Yes. Yeah. Whoa, so yeah. your daughter's coming to you telling yeah. you that she's going to have a baby on the same day of the year that yeah. that is the two anniversary of the later. accident. And oh, my gosh.
2: Right, and there's more. So I also married my two daughter I have two daughters. I married their dad, my first husband, on September 18th. He's the one that committed the adultery and all that. So September 18th is a, a big day for me. So what happened is my grandbaby was indeed born on her due date. On September 18th, but she got stuck in the birth canal. She came out with severe brain damage from a lack of oxygen. So she was blind and deaf, couldn't suck, couldn't cry, couldn't even hold her own body temperature. And I would try to hold her after weeks went by and we were allowed to hold her. I would try to hold her and I just felt all this guilt come over me. And what was happening is I had let the devil convince me that it was my fault. There's no way those dates could have been a coincidence. So I thought this was my punishment for everything so I had this huge disconnect and I realized I was letting my past rob me of any joy that I could possibly ever feel in the future and that is when I turned my life around I said number one God doesn't love like this it's not punishment number two is I took that book and I rewrote it. I took it from an angry, dark, blameful book to a book out of accountability and forgiveness. And it changed everything. I learned that it was no longer about me. I learned that I had lived through it. I was a survivor of many things and that I had expertise now to share with other people. And that's when I decided to step up and speak out to become transparent about who I was, good and bad, and quit hiding behind the shame and guilt. And that's what I've been doing the last two years. I've been out transparently sharing everything in hopes of easing some suffering out there. If when I speak to college kids, I tell them, you know what, if you, you think it's fun to go get high at a party, by the time you leave here today, you're going to know what you're signing up for if you want to do drugs. Because I didn't start my day September 18th and say, I'm going to go kill somebody. You know, you don't know what's around that corner. Yeah. So you got to respect those moments of choice. You know, and and that's that's my passion is just transparency and encouraging people to step up and speak out.
1: Where where are you now in your in your recovery journey? Are you in a situation where you feel like you're as vibrant and as healthy as you've been since before?
2: I would say I'm in a much better place than I was before, and the reason I say that is because I didn't realize. All the things I was hurting about, even as a kid, all the things I dealt with, some things that happened that I'd stuffed down, even from like childhood, the neighborhood boys would hold me down and molest me or whatever. And I thought everybody wouldn't do that, you know, and I never said a word about it. It wasn't until way later in life that those things kind of emerged and I was able to do the work I needed to heal and process it and grieve it. Um, like I mentioned, the abortions, you know, I never dealt with it so On this side of all that adversity, I've had a chance to do the work and mentally my health is in a much better space than it ever was before. And I'm thankful for that, for that, for that process.
1: This is the beauty out of the ashes that now you're coming alongside, paying it forward, trying to make sure that the next generation and anybody that you can witness to, anybody that you can tell your story to, that they understand the gravity of those decisions that they might think are inconsequential decisions or, oh, it's no big deal. It's, you know, it's only cocaine or it's only this or it's only that. Like you, you are doing good work trying to make people aware of the, of the jeopardy that they face when they, they, they make those types of choices
2: yeah I was blindsided by it. It was just a vulnerable time, you know, but life happens to everybody. We're all gonna go through it. So, yeah, I just do try to do my part to, you know, like I said, I think I was saved through it for a reason, so i'm I, I, I'm trying to get up now and and be a voice. I may share one other aspect of my story crucial in my recovery. I tell people there's a you know beautiful twist. And like like we mentioned earlier, you know, if your eyes are open to the blessings and you see the silver lining, they're there. So one night I'm um, in the jail and my doors opened up to my individual cell and a woman came in. And she was crying. She was drunk. And she was talking about her wife. She was married to a woman and she was talking about how her wife had cancer. She was really sick and in a lot of pain and she had been suicidal and tried to kill herself several times, and um, she was crying because her wife was dead, and she really missed her, but she was glad at the same time that she was no longer in pain. I listened to her. I gave her a T-shirt to wear. I gave her some commissary gel chips and you know coffee or whatever I had at the time, and we stayed up a couple hours talking and went to bed, nothing of it. The next morning, the, the bars opened up, and we went into general population where all the other girls were, and everybody's pointing and whispering at us. And we looked at each other like, are we supposed to fight? Who are you? You know, what's going on? And somebody screamed out, that's the bitch that killed your wife. Mm. And she looked at me. She's like, oh, you killed her? She's like, but you're a nice lady. And I said, she had cancer. She tried to kill herself. And I mean, I feel like God orchestrated that. Number one, she should have never been allowed in there with me. That was a complete, like, uh, against Every right I had to be protected, she should have never been even allowed in the same block, much less in my cell with me. Because I had death threats all the time from people that they, her family wanted to kill me, give me a hot shot, which is a shot of heroin in your arm when you're asleep or whatever. So the fact she even made it in, the fact she came in in the middle of the night when nobody was awake to tell her who I was, to tell tell me who she was, right? So we just were two women talking, vulnerable with each other, pouring our hearts out. So then the next next day, you know, I learned from her that, yes, she was suicidal. She was in pain. I killed her. But my Christian upbringing, the way I was raised, I was taught if you commit suicide, you don't go to heaven. Whether it's your belief or not, that's that's what I, I, I knew. And so in my mind, I thought, oh, my gosh, Misty, you just saved her soul. She's in heaven. You know, she, you took her out of pain, which... But it was that one tiny sliver of something positive I could hold on to that would allow me to wake up and take that breath the next day and build on. And it, and it gave this lady closure because the word on the street was I ran her down in a drug deal because those two girls didn't want to take accountability for attacking me and me losing control of my car. So they made up the story. So now it gives her closure. She found out it was an accident. Her her woman, her wife was never involved in any kind of drug deal. It was a complete fluke accident. So the way God orchestrated that it, it's just beautiful to me. And and it's again opening my eyes and seeing the lessons and the blessings and the silver linings along the way.
1: I am just dumbfounded right now. You're right. The twists and the turns and the Emotions. I cannot believe that you ended up in a situation where you could speak to, having no idea that this person was was in love with the person that you had had accidentally killed, and then you guys are talking, and then the way it all it gave her closure, gave you closure. You understood the situation a little bit more. Like it, I just. Can't you know like how do you how do you even jen what do you how do you even process it i i look at you and you're like oh my gosh
0: i know that's you a probably lot. have
1: the most interesting and and challenging story i've ever heard on the podcast, just in terms of like the gravity of the, of the situations and then the twists and turns Mm -hmm. of, of how it evolved. And, you know, I just got to say, you know, God on display here, like his goodness, taking, taking our bad decisions, taking our mistakes, taking our weaknesses and our letdowns. And when we didn't make it and, and trying to extract the maximum possible good out of them, your story is a living Testament to his goodness in that way.
2: Hmm. I agree. There's more if you want to hear yes. more. Yes. Oh my there's a couple gosh. More scenarios I can sprinkle <laughs> yes. it with. <laughs> so since then, um, so Eliana is the name of my first grandbaby. Um, you know, it was. She's passed away. She passed away a year ago, uh, January 11th of last year. She passed away. She was four. Um, you know, the ten years of hell that I drug my three children through made them the strongest, most resilient capable kids probably (laughs) you know my oldest daughter i tell people she is the strongest woman i know she's a she's a superhero because she had to endure everything i mean she was the oldest she kind of took over everything uh when mom was gone for three or four days out on a crack mission i'd come home and sleep for two days you know she kind of just took over that role and then on top of that now she has a baby went through this full birth and it has a baby that never been able to see her. Can't hear her. She can't look into her baby's eyes. Um, you know, all these things that she had to go through. And then her and her husband who are amazing parents had to make a decision to finally let her go. And here's God working yet again. She had so many respiratory issues. She was in and out of the hospital with respiratory issues constantly. So Thanksgiving, she started getting sick and she wasn't bouncing back to her baseline. She was getting a little worse, a little worse, a little worse. So January rolled around and they made the decision to take her off her meds and let her go. We had no idea last January that COVID was coming down the pike in February. So here's a respiratory baby that we already couldn't protect from germs and infection that um, my daughter worried herself sick 24-7 over that Never thought of, of making that decision to let her go and let God just take her. And here they finally had to come to terms with, and they did it, and, and here comes COVID. So that timing of God taking her was perfect again, because it would have been horrible trying to get with her through COVID, you know, yes. being arrested respiratory yeah. child. So going through that whole thing, and then it, since then, you know, we've been hit back to back with hurricanes down here in this area. A tree fell through the house while we were in it at my daughter's house and it landed right where Eliana sat in her little cerebral palsy chair all the time. I mean, it was just like so many things. But, you know, my daughter has another baby. She's three. She just had another little boy. So she lost Eliana in January. She said, Mom, if I don't get pregnant, I'm never going to have another child. I know it. I know how I am. So they went ahead and tried again. it was brand new. We didn't know what was ahead of us. They would gotten pregnant right away. So she had lost the baby in January and had my new grandbaby in December all in the same year. So when I say she's resilient, she's the strongest woman I know, she, and she don't even have a house to live in because a tree destroyed it during a the hurricane. They're still trying to rebuild. And then the second thing, and that's a lot too, but the second thing real quick I want to throw is, so during my time of deciding to step up and speak out, Um, I started getting interviews, you know, my book came out, made bestseller, I was kind of making the circuit, speaking, Um, I entered this competition called the Next Global Impactor, which is a worldwide competition, and I met this lady named Tamara Hunter, she and I were like running neck and neck for the pilot, we were really like, just going at it, you know, in this competition, she didn't know that I did nuclear medicine when we first met behind the scenes, that I dealt with cancer patients all the time, and I do pet CT's pharmacology work. Well, she and I became friends in this competition. She ended up winning competition. I placed third in it, and um, we became just lifetime friends now. But I told her, she asked me if I would mind being the vice president on her board because she runs a nonprofit called Chemo Buddies for Life, where we pair up take patients going through chemo. And because of my work interest and, and the patient population I dealt with, I was all on board with it. I loved doing it. Needless to say, here I am once again with my eyes open to the blessings along the way. Did not know God was preparing me this entire last year that I sat as vice president on that board. That My mom was diagnosed at Thanksgiving this past year with non-hospital lymphoma, very aggressive, had it head to toe, and she's now moved in with me going through chemotherapy. She's actually in the hospital right now, bless her heart. Um, And that I would get a cancer diagnosis myself this past month. So here I am learning all about cancer through chemo buddies and learning how to be a leader and show people how to get through it. And I was going to need that for, for my own personal life. You know, so again, it's just God, like you said, finding the maximum use possible for everything.
1: I am just uh, once again almost at a loss for words as to what to what to say. I feel like in the in the area of adversity, you've gotten you know more than your fair share of uh, portion. I feel like and you know I sit here and and I just that's what the beautiful thing about this podcast. I sometimes will sit here and lament my my problems, the things I'm going through in my life, and then I contrast it with somebody that I brought on to the podcast, and I sit here and I go. I don't have any problems at all because you know hearing your story hearing what you've been through hearing what you've survived and to hear who you are now I am just I am just amazed I'm amazed at how you've been able to regain and recover your life I'm amazed at the blessing in the ashes of defeat I'm amazed at God's goodness through all of this and and I certainly feel like if there's anybody that's been through the fire, um, it's, it's you. And so how are you now processing this, this cancer diagnosis? You're going through chemotherapy yourself?
2: Yeah, my, mine is a skin cancer. It's not as severe as okay. mom has it head to toe, you know, but mine is uh, something that I'm going to be easily treated and cured from. Um, but I, I just want to pop back and say, you know, everybody in life, son, has, and adversity live through. And their pain is their pain. You don't have to equate yeah. it to someone else's story because your pain is yours. But I will say that there's always somebody out there that has it worse. There's people that have it worse than me. There's people out there that have it worse. And wherever you are in your journey, in your pain, if you will just be that one person to step up and speak about it, reach your hand out and pull somebody up to where you are. Pull them out of their pain. I mean, when you do that, that changed it for me because it took the focus, all the negativity, all the things I was beating myself up on for me, once I took and directed that energy to helping lift someone else out of their pain, it took that focus for me and put it on them and it, it, it changed a positive. I, I learned about gratitude. Like you said, it makes you put it in perspective, you know, and that's where the hope is. The hope is that. By being transparent, we can become aware, we can become educated, we can judge less and mentor more in the world.
1: Well said. I was just going to ask you for a closing thought and I think that you just nailed it. That is that is excellent advice. <laughs> I think that that's a, it's a beautiful perspective and and I agree with you and I, and I think right now you're right. Everybody's pain is their pain. There's somebody listening right now that is going through their version of your nightmare. It doesn't have to be the same version. Yeah, it's right. just their version of your nightmare. But I think that the hope is that the, the message here is that despite what you went through, that most likely would have caused a lot of people to not even want to be alive and certainly probably at points for you you felt that same way but you persevered you you made it through you one foot in front of the other one day after another but your story has got to be a lamppost it's got to be a light of hope for anybody that's listening because if you could make it through that find peace find joy find the blessing in the ashes if you could do it maybe they can do it too and so i just want to say thank you so much for your story thank you for your message thank you for your vulnerability it this is this has been extremely impactful to me and and i'm sure jen as well
2: well thank you thank you i I just i find it a blessing to be able to be on your platform to share and i I hope that it's an inspiration to someone else today
1: well if somebody wants to hear more about your story you mentioned your book why don't you tell us where we can find the book again so if somebody wants to to read your story they have a chance to do so
2: so it's called What Goes Up, uh, Overcoming Your Worst to Live Your Best. It's a book all about truth. Um, there's no stripper It's a pretty raw read. I'll just give you a fair warning. Um, each chapter at the end has like a lap application kind of skill. Uh, there's also um, a cope equals hope, C-O-P-E, four-step method, and just will show you how you can use writing to release your toxic shame and guilt included in the book as well. You can find it on Amazon, Walmart, Target are carrying it. You can get it on any bookstore website, or you can get a signed copy off of my own personal website, which is mistylane.com.
1: And that's M-I-S-T-I-E-L-A-Y-N-E.com. Misty Lane, right?
2: Correct. So I have my talk show, which is Dare to Share with Misty Lane, which is a platform where, you know, because I encourage people through the hashtag Be That One Movement to step up and speak out. So Dare to Share is a TV show that I have twice a week where I gives people a platform to do that. It gives them a chance to come on and share their diversity with others.
1: Well, I know you've That's asked me to be a guest on that show, and I'm super excited <laughs> to come on and uh, yes. share some of my stories. So uh, thank you so much. I mean, you've been an incredible hope dealer for us today, Misty. I, I really appreciate your message. I really appreciate your story. And I, and I think your story is a, is a great example of, of God taking the worst of situations mm-hmm. and trying to extract the maximum good out of them. And so, you know, I just can't mm-hmm. thank you enough for your message. Thank
2: you. Thank
0: you for having me.
1: All right, Jen, what did you think about our interview with uh, Misty Lane?
0: Oh, wow. Just just wow. I, I, I honestly felt like it could be a movie.
1: Uh, really, right? Yeah,
0: like a two-part movie.
1: You know, I, it was reminiscent to me of, uh, Louis Zamperini's story, mm-hmm. you know, just when Somewhat, you, yeah. Yeah, yeah, you know, like he's, he's over the ocean, gets shot down in a boat for 40 days, thinks he's going to get rescued, gets on a ship with Japan, yeah. ends up in an internment camp. And like, every time you turn around, it's like, worse I kept thinking and worse. it was going to
0: end and then it just kept going and going and going. And I was like, oh my gosh, like, wow.
1: I know just, but an incredible story of, of perseverance. Yes. Yes. and hope and you know oh, here so here's hope. here's some hope nuggets that i took out of it because it was a riveting riveting story and i'm so thankful misty to you for sharing and being vulnerable and, and uh, being transparent mm-hmm. about your message, you know thank you very much, because if, if it weren't for that, we wouldn't have an opportunity to have this dialogue, and there wouldn't be an opportunity for somebody that's listening right now to benefit from it. But right. here's the hope nuggets: God is so good <laughs> throughout all of the let's just call them poor choices yeah. that she made. He was there to try to pick up the pieces. He was there to try to close the loop. He was there to try to impart a message. And it's always that maximum extraction from the poor decisions. Our failures Mm -hmm. become his shining light. Right.
0: Yeah, he's like such a good father. Like he never left her side. He was I mean, always I mean, there. think
1: about that. Like, like normally in a situation like that, think about her children. Mm-hmm. Her children could have very easily used her and her situation and what she was oh, going yeah. through as an excuse to ruin their lives. Oh yeah,
0: for they sure. didn't.
1: It made them stronger. Mm-hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. Her, her situation, like being. What are the chances that she's in a jail and ends up talking? <laughs> to the person that loved the woman that she had accidentally killed.
0: I just don't know. But
1: having that relation, because had that not been a relationship, had it not happened yeah. the way that it happened, you know, it's like God orchestrated that whole situation to put them into room together to yes. heal both of them.
0: That Exactly. And that's why this would make a great movie because it was very suspenseful. Like it just kept like. Misty,
1: and- you got, you got to pitch this. You got to <laughs> we- pitch it to, you know, this has got to be a movie. Yes. Yeah. Your life has got to be a movie. And in, then to see what she's doing now. I know. And, and to share her message, to impact people, going back and speaking to kids. Certainly there's got to be some kid, some girl or boy that mm. listened to her message of course. That said, you know what? Oh, I was, I was going to go to a party and get high tonight, but yeah. after hearing that, I ain't doing that no exactly. more. Exactly. Like, so who knows how many people that she saved as a, as a result of her message. I
0: know. I, it's just, it's all good. It's all good.
1: Here's, here's the one thing that I, I just kept thinking about. Cause here we are the, the parents of four boys, right? Yes. You you actually think you have this misconception as a parent that once you get them into adulthood and they and they haven't you know there's been no major challenges that you did your job it's good like you oh, I can take a little breath off all of this happened in her 30s like it began for her in her 30s life going off the rail that you know ain't
0: stressing me out
1: oh now I'm making you worry about our boys <laughs> yeah but but here's the here's the goodness regardless of what happens. God is always going to extract the maximum possible good out of the situation. It's just, uh, that's, that's the message. He
0: never leaves you.
1: Yes. Yep. Never, ever. Don't ever forget that. What a wonderful, incredible Hope Dealer for us. Thank you, Misty.
0: Thank you so much.
1: So, Jen, if people want to hear more and connect with us on social media, how do they do so?
0: We are on Hope Radio Podcast on Instagram and Facebook.
1: Yeah, send us a direct message. If you know of somebody else that would be a great Hope Dealer for our Hope Show, send us a direct message. And you can also find us at uh, on the web, hoperadiopodcast.com. Right. You can see all of our prior shows, our guests there click to listen whatever show you want to uh to hear and uh here's what i think jen what do you think i think i had such a good time today okay i think we should come back tomorrow
0: we will be let's here do tomorrow. another
1: let's do this let's do another show on hope
0: i like hope, what do you think so yes